following is a Galactic Digital Studios production. It's the podcast that celebrates when humans and compassion win over corporate greed. May the odds be ever in your favor, SAG-AFTRA. This is Are We Not Entertained? Part of the Closing Tag Network and no, I am not under union protection. Though that would be nice. I am, however, Raul Smith, Head of Development and Design over at Galactic Digital Studios. If you're in the market for video editing, graphic design, logo design, web development, or SEO services, please visit us at galacticdigitalstudios.com. That's galacticdigitalstudios, names right there, .com. Galactic Digital Studios, out of this world service, at down-to-earth prices. So... Much like the last recording, and I know it's been a while, it's been about a couple weeks, I do apologize for that, crazy stuff happened. Uh, I wanted to start off with some, uh, well at least at the time that I was supposed to record this, uh, some breaking news, and that news is that the long national nightmare is over. The longest actor strike in history has finally ended. After four months of intense negotiations, bickering back and forth, and idle threats, the Screen Actors Guild, American Federation of Television and Radio Artists, and the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers finally reached an agreement on November 8th to end what was easily the longest work stoppage in the history of movies and television. This, of course, coincided with the other strike that was going on at the same time between the AMPTP and the Writers' Union, which ended a few weeks prior. SAG-AFTRA President Fran Drescher, and yes, I was only four months ago old when I realized the annoying lady from The Nanny was the head of SAG-AFTRA, took to Instagram after the deal was reached. Quote, We did it! Exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. The billion plus dollar deal, exclamation mark. 3x, the last contract, exclamation mark. New ground was broke everywhere, exclamation mark. TY SAG after members for hanging in and holding out for this historic deal, exclamation mark. End quote. Yes, I did that on purpose. So maybe it helps to understand what exactly the actors and the writers of Hollywood were so upset about in the first place before we can move in, move on with how this news will impact them as well as impact what you will likely be seeing or not seeing over the next couple of years. The crux of the issues that the writers and actors had going into the heated labor talks boiled down basically two things. Disputes over pay scale and disputes over the use of their likeness, both visual and audible, in all future projects. With the advent of streaming services like Netflix, Amazon, Prime Video, Disney Plus, and Max, the TV schedule as well as the movie viewing experience 
has changed dramatically across the board. And ever since the COVID pandemic in 2020, more and more people are finding it easier and cheaper, let's be honest, to just stay home and watch the hit, latest hit movie as opposed to going to theaters. Now, don't get me wrong, people are still going into theaters as evidenced by the numbers coming in for hit movies like Barbie and Fast and Furious 10. The movie industry is far from dead, but it's certainly changed. The problem has been that production studios like Disney, like Paramount, like MGM weren't changing with the times. Instead of paying the actors what they would get from a share of the streaming revenue, Disney and Netflix and others were pocketing that profit for themselves, only paying the actors and writers a share of what the studios were getting from the box office. The second biggest issue is the use of AI in the movie and TV show making process. For the writers, the obvious issue was that they were going to use AI to write scripts and stories for TV shows and movies. For the actors, it's a little more complicated. To understand where the actors were coming from and why it was such a big issue, let's take a look at a hypothetical situation. Say, for instance, if I were to show up as an extra on a TV show. With technology the way it is now, the studios can clone my digital likeness and use that likeness as an extra in several other properties. However, under the old labor agreement, I would only get paid for the one time that I physically showed up. All the other times that I would appear as an extra, as a digital extra, those times would that I would be getting paid for that would all go directly to the executives. They would pocket that change as opposed to paying me for digitally being there. The actor's biggest gripe with that, aside from the moral implications as outlined by Zelda Williams, when she addressed her when she addressed the rumors that the studios wanted to digitally recreate her famous comedian father, Robin Williams, was the financial implications. Technically, with one fell swoop, Hollywood executives would completely eliminate the need of ever having extras work ever again altogether. So what is in the new deal between SAG-AFTRA and the studios? While the details are still not 100% clear, even after everything's been ratified and signed and everything, what has been made clear by the leaders of SAG-AFTRA is that the deal includes increases in pay minimums, better benefits across the board, and AI protections. I'm going to assume that last part means that we will not be seeing AI Robin Williams after all, and for that, I say thank you. The strike has affected more than just the actors and the writers. With production having been shut down across the board, businesses in Los Angeles have suffered as a result. Usual eateries and hotspots for celebrities have seen a dramatic downtick in business. Makeup artists and production staff have had to file for unemployment 
or seek temporary employment as a result of the lack of work. As a result, stores and clothing lines in the areas have also taken a dramatic hit. See, the thing that most people hear about the actor strike and automatically go to the tired and cliched, well, they're millionaires, they can afford to not work for a while. First of all, not all of them are millionaires. I mean, there are some that are very well financially off and certainly not hurting at all. Some, like Dwayne The Rock Johnson, even help the lesser financially stable actors get by during the strike. But there are a lot of actors on the lower end of the totem pole, like Sean Astin, like Will Wheaton, like Aaron Paul, and I'll get to Aaron Paul here in a minute and how he's been treated lately. It's kind of a disgusting story. Who are financially struggling to make it paycheck to paycheck before the strike. Second, this doesn't just affect the right actors. As I mentioned, it affects shops, it affects eateries, it affects stores, it affects independent workers who don't have a union membership to fall back on. It puts a gigantic dent on the local business scene in Los Angeles. It's easy to sit there and say millionaires can cry me a river and build a bridge with all those millions they have. But the fact of the matter is that most of the people that you don't know about that work behind the scenes are not so fortunate. You know, the names that you see at the end of movies that you never bother to pay attention to. Storyboard artists, makeup artists, costume designers, stunt doubles, so on and so forth. Now, I will agree that more should have taken cues from The Rock and helped the lesser financially stable actors out during the strike. But that's neither, not either here or there. Now, let's circle back to Aaron Paul. You've probably seen him in a movie or TV show and not known it. He's appeared in things like Need for Speed, last season of Westworld, and that clusterfuck. The most recent season of Black Mirror. But his most recognizable role, easily, that he's ever done as an actor is the role of Jesse Pinkman in Breaking Bad. Now you would think, being the second most famous actor from that TV series, second in the credits behind Brian Cranston on one of the biggest hit TV shows of all time that Paul would have some coin to his name. Apparently that's not the case. Aaron Paul revealed during the strike that ever since the show hit syndication and the Netflix library, he has seen a grand total of shit in residuals for his portrayal as Jesse Pinkman. Not a single fucking red dime. If that's not disgraceful as fuck, I don't know what is. And that is exactly what this strike was about. It wasn't about the George Clooney's and the Dwayne Johnson's pocketing more money. It was helping people like Will Wheaton, like Aaron Paul, like Giancarlo Esposito, like Bob Odenkirk, like Rhea Seahorn, Betsy Brandt, Dean Morris, Jonathan Banks. 
internet daddy Pedro Pascal finally getting their residuals for all the hard work that they've put in to bringing these amazing characters to life. There is no fucking reason on planet Earth that a guy like Giancarlo Esposito, who has played not one, but three fantastic sinister villains in three amazing IPs, four if you count Breaking Bad, separate from uh, Better Call Saul, should be living paycheck to paycheck. Not one. As for all the people that are like Crimea River Hollywood elite bitches, I hope that you don't have to sit there and with no union having your back as AI and automation take your job along with any hope of actually ever being able to work again away from you. But considering you probably work construction or truck driving, yeah, chances are in the next 10 years it will. So I'll be sure to remember your kind words when that day comes. And for now, maybe Hollywood can finally get back to work. You know, doing the important stuff, entertaining us, entertaining the plebes with Things like Deadpool 3, which, by the way, is going to be the only MCU movie to be released in 2024. Between, oh, what was it? The Marvels, which recently came out, and Deadpool 3. There's not a single MCU movie slated to release after that until I think it was May 2024. So, yeah. And kind of circling back to Pedro Pascal, I would implore people to go check out, while you still have the time, uh, the first season of The Last of Us. Absolutely amazing piece of art. As the kids would say, it is cinema. Hello, this is a I owl. I am here to let you know that a spoonful of peanut butter is great for your mental health. Also, be sure to check out the links in the description of this podcast. You will find links to articles pertinent to the topics of the day, as well as links to the Facebook page, the YouTube channel, and the corresponding blog page within the closing tag network. And now, Back to Raul for more of the show. Um, thanks, I think. Anyway, that's the new assistant to the show, AI Owl. He'll pop up every once in a while to let you guys know what's up. So, because I know some people watching and listening to this are not fans of wrestling, just a heads up, the rest of this episode is going to be about wrestling. You know the drill. If you want to dip out, you can. I'll see you on Wednesday. So what do you get when you cross a starstruck wrestling fan posed as a booker and president of his own wrestling company 
millions of dollars and the desire to use star power from the 80s to drive ratings. You get Tony Khan signing Ric Flair to AEW. Yes, that Ric Flair. But let's be honest, is it really that Ric Flair? In his late 70s, clearly no longer able to really do much of anything as evidenced by his performance during his supposed last match ever, which let's be honest about that as well, that wasn't his last match ever. Ric Flair is no longer that guy. He hasn't been that guy for a very long time. Hell, some would argue he stopped being that guy around the same time evolution was formed. Old age and a lifetime of drug and alcohol abuse have taken their toll on the nature boy. And with his body breaking down, so too has the fans' desire to see him. Especially after his antics were exposed during Dark Side of the Ring. Yeah, don't think for one second the fans forgot about that. They didn't. We didn't. But that didn't stop to quote MJF, that fucking Mark, Tony Khan, from signing Ric Flair to a multi-year deal with AEW. Now, before I dig in and completely obliterate how stupid a move this is in retrospect, let's first play devil's advocate for a second. Let's remember how Sting first came to AEW. Originally, Sting came to AEW wanting to only do cinematic style matches similar to the Boneyard Brawl or the Final Deletion type of matches. But as time wore on and his neck started to feel better, Sting started to do more and more over the years. Now, by no means am I suggesting that 78-year-old Ric Flair start doing balcony dives through sets of tables. But what I am saying is that maybe as time wears on, he'll be able to do more than just stand there and take low blows from Christian Cage. Also remember two things with this bit of news. Remember that Sting was originally brought in to be the manager for Darby Allen. But also remember that Ric Flair was originally supposed to be brought in months ago to AEW to manage his real-life son-in-law, Andrade El Idolo. So if all parties play this smart, this could actually be a really good way to get a, the next wrestler over, be it Andrade or someone else. Therein lies the problem. It's Ric Flair. He doesn't like playing things smart. He doesn't like playing things safe. He is one of those old guys that we keep hearing about that don't want to hang it up on someone else's terms. They want to go out on their terms. Ric Flair has said as much in a recent interview. He doesn't want to be remembered as the guy that we saw during the last match ever where he teamed up against Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett. He wants to be remembered as the limousine riding, jet flying, kiss stealing, wheeling, dealing, son of a gun. Just one problem. He's no longer that guy. And as much as I rag on guys like James Harden in the NBA, not knowing when it's time to accept the reality of their situation, 
Ric Flair is just as delusional, if not more, as those guys. Unless Tony Khan puts a very strict you-will-not-wrestle stipulation on his contract, and let's be honest, Tony Khan is probably marking out way too hard to do such a thing right now. Ric Flair is going to wrestle again. Whether he does it in an AEW ring, whether he does it in a New Japan ring, whether he does it in a small independent ring with only 200 people in attendance watching, Ric Flair is going to wrestle in a wrestling ring again. And this time, he may not be so fortunate to only pass out during the match. As morbid as that sounds. Now, all the Tony Khan and Ric Flair apologists will hit up my mentions or my email, Raul at the closing tag.com, that's spelled R A U L, and say how smart it is to get Ric Flair essentially for free. As his sponsorship deal with AEW is very similar to Randy Savage's Slim Jim deal with WCW back in the day. But that still doesn't take away from the fact that Ric Flair is taking something far more valuable than money away from AEW. He's taken away valuable screen time on a TV show like Dynamite, where TV time is a cherished commodity. Ric Flair is essentially taking time away from younger wrestlers that have actually earned that time. This was what I was worried about when I made the comment a couple years ago about how Tony Khan really needs to think hard about building younger wrestlers up instead of constantly bringing in the bigger names. Because this is the same thing that we saw in TNA. By the way, congratulations to Impact for bringing back TNA, I guess. As much as I've enjoyed Christian Cage as the AEW TNT champion, as much as I've enjoyed Adam Copeland's work so far, and as much as I've enjoyed Sting, there comes a point in time where you have to start utilizing these guys to help build the next wrestlers up, the next generation up. And in Sting's case with Darby Allin and in Rob Van Dam's case with Hook, I feel they've done actually a really good job. But for every Sting and Darby Allen, and for every Rick or Rob Van Dam and Hook, there's a Ric Flair. For every Christian Cage and Luchasaurus, or Kill Switch, I guess now, and Nick Wayne, there's a Matt and Jeff Hardy. For every Adam Copeland, there's a CM Punk. And while I and many others are happy to see Copeland and Cage and Sting for the short time that we have them, there has to come a point where logic and common sense have to override nostalgia. Ric Flair, aside from name recognition, offers nothing to a wrestling company in 2023 or 2024. Using Ric Flair to help elevate Andrade or Roosh, or Wardlow would be a better way of using Ric Flair. Hell, they can use him 
and Andrade as the catalyst that Tony Khan needs to finally bring in Charlotte Flair. At least maybe then he'll give the women's division the attention and respect that it deserves. Other than that, I have negative interest in seeing Ric Flair ever again on my TV. And since we're on the topic of wrestling and brain-dead ideas, let us take a moment of silence for Billy Corgan's National Wrestling Alliance as their TV deal appears to be dead. Not even two weeks after Corgan celebrates landing a TV deal for NWA Power on the CW Network, the CW Network announces instead that they are now the new home for NXT. This, of course, comes after a stunt that Corgan pulled at the recent NWA live event where Father Jim Mitchell and a few others could be seen intimating that they were snorting cocaine. And they didn't even invite Tony Khan. Rude. Lesson of the day, kids. Play stupid games. Win stupid prizes. Anyway, that's all the time that I have for today's episode. If you would like to donate to the Closing Tag Network, you can find the donation button on theclosingtag.com. That's theclosingtag.com. Also, while you are there, be sure to check out the other channels in the Closing Tag Network, including the one for this podcast. The link for this one is in the description. Thanks again, guys, for downloading, listening, watching, donating, doing everything that you can to help support the podcast. Your efforts do not go unnoticed. So thank you. I do plan to do a tech pod on Wednesday and a life pod on Friday. I know that kind of deviates from the plan, but considering I just took two weeks off from the podcast, you'll understand that I kind of have things going on and want to kind of get back on track. But anyway, be on the lookout for that. Thanks again, everybody, for all of your support. And remember to include your closing tags. The actors are back. Yeah. This has been a Galactic Digital Studios production.